I'm excited to get into the second of three uh, messages we're going to have on Philemon. So that we looked, the first week we looked through the lens of Onesimus, this runaway slave. This week we're going to look through the lens of Philemon, this church leader and master to Onesimus. Um, but before we get there, I'd like to start with a story. <clears throat> I remember hearing this story a long time ago, I think it must have been on a podcast at some point, um, of a family who lived on a sailboat. The sailboat was their home. All their earthly possessions were in this boat. Everything they owned or could hope to own was all on this. And this was a very normal thing for them. They would go around the world on the sailboat uh, and normally didn't have any problems or very experienced. But there was this one trans-Pacific uh, kind of journey they took where they ran into some trouble. So there was a dad, a mom, and a young child. And the child started to get ill, some kind of ear infection. They didn't really know what was going on. And so they radioed to the closest land um, and they got chatting with the doctor, uh, and it went all right until the radio's batteries got fried by seawater. And that was okay, because they have a backup radio, and oh wait, that one's broken too. Uh, and then at this point, uh, they had this kind of weird freak timing thing that their satellite phone wasn't working anymore, either, all at the same time. The radio, backup radio, satellite phone, none of it is working. And they're still trying to figure out if this is a serious condition for their kid or not. They don't, they don't really know what's going on. So they don't have any kind of communication. They do some calculations, and they find out they're three weeks from sailing from the closest place of land. So basically in the middle of blue all over the place. But they do have one option left. They can deploy an emergency beacon that will signal the Coast Guard. These were Americans, and so they had I guess, some kind of setup with the Coast Guard, some kind of beacon that you can set up that the Coast Guard will come and rescue you, but all the stuff that you have with you is lost. Like you can't take anything with you. So they can either signal the Coast Guard and lose their sailboat and all their earthly possessions with them, lose their home, or kind of take a chance and maybe their child will be okay, maybe he won't. And once they find out he's not okay, it won't be quick to get to a hospital. Well, for the parents, it didn't take them very long to decide. The father deployed the emergency beacon, and though that meant the family was homeless, it did mean that his family was safe and healthy and everything turned out okay. Now, there was a cost to keeping this family together. And given the choice between family and stuff, the goal of family easily outweighed the goal of losing belongings. And this is also the place where we find Philemon. Philemon is confronted with a cost. It's not the same kind of cost as you know, a trans-Pacific journey on a sailboat, but there is a cost of community. See, the story of this letter is uh, you have Philemon, who's the master to Onesimus. These, these names are difficult to get. I mean, I don't know any Philemons in my life, and maybe they'd be like, I'm sorry, I'm not called Philemon, I'm called Philemon. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> the, um, I may, and if he's French, who knows? The, um, uh, and then there's Onesimus. Onesimus is the slave. He's this runaway slave, uh, and he ran really, 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 really far away to Rome, and basically he's farther from here to the south of Spain. So just think of like having to walk that distance. It's a difficult way to go. And, and also he stole from Philemon, most likely stole from Philemon as he went to kind of fund his journey. He somehow finds Paul in Rome, this runaway slave, probably seeking his own freedom uh, in Rome, finds Paul. He becomes a Christian, Onesimus does. And Paul writes this letter to Philemon to be delivered by Onesimus as he returns. Most likely also, uh, Onesimus is bringing with him the letter of Colossians that we have in our Bible too. So, last week we looked through that lens of Onesimus and what we were mostly focusing on was vulnerability and self-protection. Especially when someone harms you, what does it look like? By nature, we protect ourselves, uh, by that, but also by that very same instinct, we will live a lonely life and die inside. 
Real community requires real vulnerability, and that's just what Jesus empowers us to do. That was what last week was. Now this week, we're going to look through Philemon's eyes. So if you are Philemon, according to the law of the time, uh, you have been seriously wronged. And now your slave, he ran away from you. This is a person who you probably provided for and all sorts of things. Uh, and he stole from you. And now you see him walking towards you. And all those emotions come flooding back. What was it like after he left? Who knows how much time went by? How, how was he viewed as a master because a slave ran away from him and stole from him? All the dishonor and stuff like that. So all those emotions come and coming back. You see Onesimus, and then he hands you this letter that we're, re- that we're reading here, these very same words that we read here. And Paul, your mentor, you're like your rock star leader in life, tells you to accept Onesimus as you would accept him. That would be a difficult situation for anybody. Not only to do that, but to receive this fugitive slave no longer as a slave, but as a freed person, as a brother. Forgive him, set him free. That's a difficult thing. It is asking a lot. Philemon is challenged with the cost of community. Now, we're in a different time and a different place, and nobody here has been asked to free a slave. Maybe some of us have been asked to forgive debts before. But by reading this story, we're all challenged by the real cost of community, whatever that might be specifically for us. And here's the thing with community. Everybody wants community, but nobody really wants to sacrifice. And so that means we don't really get the thing that we want. We want to be part of community insofar as it does something for us, which is not really community. That's community for individualistic ends. That's actually not community. That's just called consumerism related to people. Community, real community, on the other hand, is about generosity, and generosity requires sacrifice because of giving, a generosity of spirit. One can't be generous without sacrifice. It's required. Sacrifice is necessary for true community, and that is never an easy thing. That's why it's called sacrifice. No one's like, oh, I just love to sacrifice. No one likes doing that, which is why it's hard. So we don't sacrifice for others as we ought, and we truly also, if we're honest with ourselves, we truly don't think that God calls us to sacrifice. Like, ah, well, maybe if he does call me to sacrifice something, that's like, that's not even up for me. That's for like the professional Christians, the super uber like spiritual people, the people who are like, you know, wake up with their Bible in their hands and go to sleep with a prayer on their lips. Like, that's not me. And so those are the people that really have to sacrifice. I can just be like a normal dude. But that's not true because we're all equal when it comes to Christianity. And this letter confronts us as much as it did Philemon and asks us to live out our common unity through counting the cost of community. See, we all settle for consumerism instead of community, but God wants something more for us, something better for us. And just like vulnerability last week, Jesus, we're going to see this later on, giving you away the ending, spoiler alert, Jesus is the model of sacrifice and the means for us to be able to do that. So we will get to that eventually. But before we get there, let's talk about three things that we're going to um, look with respect to Philemon here. We're going to look at the praise from Paul, because Paul does give a lot of praise to Philemon. Um, We're going to look at the cost for Philemon, what that looks like. And then we're going to look at the goal of community for the church in general. So first, let's go to praise. Now, and if you have questions, uh, you can go to that website and um, we will deal with those questions. Sorry, it comes through my phone. Um, and last week, uh, someone did send a question. Sorry, John. Um, and uh, which had to be answered separately because I forgot to check my phone. So if I forget to, like, oh, I sent a question, and you can grab me after the service or whatever. Um, all questions are fair game. So Paul starts this letter off. By he, what he does is he really gives praise to Philemon. Um, the, uh, Philemon is one of the church leaders at this town called Colossae. 
Uh, he's a long-standing Christian. He's not new to the faith. He's kind of been around for a while. Now, what kind of things does an apostle, someone like Paul, who wrote the majority of our New Testament, what kind of things does a writer of the New Testament get excited about? That should tell us a little bit of what community ought to be or, or how things that we can learn from that. What does Paul see in Philemon's life that he wants to call out? Well, specifically, let's look at verse 5 if you have it in front of you. Um, and if you need a Bible, we have some around to either keep your phone up or your, your page turned there. Uh, Paul says, I always thank God. I remember my prayers. And here's the reason, because two things here. I hear about your love for all his people, all his holy people, and your faith in the Lord Jesus. Your love for the church and your faith in God. Love for people and faith in God. Paul is reminding Philemon and us about something that Jesus said in, um, in Matthew 22 Somebody came up to Jesus and said, what's the, the most, what's the best commandment? And we have all these commandments in the Old Testament. Like, what's the best commandment, Jesus? And Jesus says, the first thing is to love God with all that's in you. And the second thing, the second greatest commandment is a lot like it, to love other people like yourself. And so just like what Jesus is saying, Paul is saying, which really shouldn't be that surprising because Paul is falling in the footsteps of Jesus. So Paul, as heard all this about his love for the church and his faith in Jesus. He's, Paul has heard about this from Philemon. You know, there's a good chance. We don't know for sure. But there's a good chance. Paul didn't even uh, see Philemon in person or even visit the church at Colossae. And possibly he didn't even go there. But somehow he's heard through the Christian grapevine. I don't know if there's like separate, some kind of like hotline you can call and be like, hey, tell me what's going on in Colossae. Um, but somehow Paul heard about what was going on there with Philemon and he's praising him for these things. And he underlines this praise again in verse 7. He says, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because, why Why is this encouraging, Paul? Because, brother, uh, because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. You've refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. The saints are refreshed. That means they're like living out of rest. They're not living, living out of anxiety. They're not living out of this, like, um, this guilt-ridden duty to do things. They're not living out of a, a, a also just not living just the way they want to. They're kind of following that difficult road of Jesus, but in a way that comes out of the rest that Jesus gives us. They're living out of that rest because Philemon, one of the leaders, is loving God and, and loving people well. If you live this way, that Paul is saying in verse 5, there is rest to be found. If the leaders live that way for the church, it's so often that's how the church kind of goes. Now, this is refreshing because everywhere we look, we see we're called to trust in ourselves first. We're called to um, be up for ourselves first. We're called, love is supposed to be really about what, what fulfills us only first. See, what Paul is doing here, even through his praise, is he's leading Philemon well. He's starting with the bright spots. He's kind of making like a praise sandwich. You know, if you ever have to give like difficult feedback to somebody, well, you're really good at... Um, um, showing up dressed to work. Um, you're horrible in these areas. Oh, I just love the way that you show up dressed for work. Now, let's talk about these areas where you need to work. You know, it makes it a little bit easier, a little bit more palatable. It's like, oh, at least I, at least I can show up with clothes on, or whatever the thing is. Um, so Paul is leading Philemon really well here, starting with those bright spots. And he's also uh, teaching Philemon and the church there, because this would have been read aloud at the church, what it means to follow Jesus. What's the most important thing? Following God and loving other people. In doing this, what he's doing is he's encouraging Philemon to keep the main things the main things. It's really easy to go off on all these kind of side quests and projects, but really to keep the main thing the main thing is a difficult thing. Now, an opposite story to living in this way is... Um, I remember hearing about... I could, again, I can't remember where these stories came from. I just remember they're up in... The, uh, 
I've written these stories out, like, oh, this would be a really helpful illustration. I hope it's a really helpful illustration. It gets up to you. It is an illustration. Whether or not it's helpful or not, you can decide. I'll let that to you. Um, there's this, uh, I don't know if they're even around anymore. There was a small Native American tribe in America, um, uh, I think somewhere in California. Uh, they were called the Chichensi. There was like less than 100 people, and they had a certain amount of land, and they constructed a casino. And what happened over time is a casino, as it does, made loads of money, and all the profits went to the members of the tribe. But over like uh, five years, 10 years, 15 years, people, especially the leaders in the tribe, were trying to get people out of the tribe. This is a process called disenrollment, to kick people officially out of the tribe. The reason for that, especially when you're a small, why, if you're a small tribe, why would, why would you want less people in there? Well, if profits are concerned, the less people are in there, the more profits you get. So it dwindled down to 30. I think the last story I read about them, I think there was like 15 people who were officially in the Chichancy tribe, all because they wanted all the profits for themselves. As soon as they kicked someone else out, their check got bigger. And, in, and you read stories like this, it's like friends and cousins, like family members are having to kind of like divide themselves because they wanted more money for themselves. Here's the thing, when we focus on only us, our community dwindles. It becomes less of a thing. A consumerist focus on community erodes community itself. Now, all of us have those tendencies. And we, we could say, well, that sounds ridiculous for a small Native American tribe to do that. But we all kind of do that in different ways. If, if it's something that's going to you know, be good for us, and, it, and it's the easiest road to take, we'll probably take it. And I think there's probably places where you might be able to relate to a tribe like the Chichancy. We want our tribe, whatever that is, our people, our group, our friends, to be kind of all about us. Like we're in it for ourselves. And in doing so, we don't really become a tribe so much we become this tribe of individuals. We're all together in the same room, but like seeking out our own ends. Not really caring about other people as much as we really are caring about ourselves. We aren't giving ourselves to others, we're taking what we think ought to be ours. And we'll go to something or be part of something as long as we can understand immediately how we get something out of it. We're not going to stick it, in, stick it out for the long term. Living in a community like that is not really refreshing, the way that Paul talks about verse 7. It doesn't lead to a group of people being refreshed. That means it leads to a group of people being anxious about making sure they get their own. It's not praiseworthy. Paul is not praising uh, Philemon or the church at Colossae because they are going after their own needs first. He's praising them because they're doing the exact opposite of that. I mean, have you ever seen video coverage of American big box stores on Black Friday? Have you ever seen this ridiculousness? Have you, ever, have you experienced it for yourself? I remember I have. I was, I think I did it once, me and my brother. I'm, I was old enough to drive, so I was either 16 or 17. We got up early um, on Black Friday to get something for my mom for her for Christmas. I can't remember. Even I think it was earrings or something. I think we waited like two hours or three hours in a queue. Now, people weren't like shoving, and hit, but people also were not super jolly. It was not a Christmas spirit going on. As you can see here, people, there's stories of people get trampled. People die at these things just because you want a bigger TV. That's trusting in ourselves, that image here. That's seeing our own love at the expense of others. And as, as ridiculous as that is, and it is very ridiculous, that's how we treat community when it's all about us. How can I quickly get that thing for me so I can get the 10% discount or whatever? But Paul is praising Philemon for what is worthy of praise, trusting in Jesus, and loving other people. That kind of community, unlike this, is refreshing. It's worthy of compliment and one that's worth seeking out. So we have the uh, first little section there where Paul is praising 
Philemon. Uh, then in verse 8, this is where Paul kind of makes a transition. Paul says, you know, what you're doing is, is, is great. It's actually, it's so great. I'm excited at what's going on here at Colossae. I'm really proud of you for leading this church. In light of this really great thing, I have to ask you something. To have this good thing continue. All the stuff that Paul has front-loaded this praise for Philemon for, he, he says, you're, you're, the hearts of the people are refreshed. I want more refreshing to happen, not less. And here's how that's going to happen. And this is where we get to the cost for Philemon. What is Paul asking exactly? How is that refreshment going to continue, especially for Onesimus, the deliverer of this letter? There's two specific things that Paul's asking. One is about freedom. The other is about forgiveness. There's freedom and forgiveness that are being offered here. Uh, in, in verse 16, um, Paul says, I want you to uh, not receive Onesimus as a slave anymore, but better than a slave, as a brother, giving him freedom. Verse 17, well, how is that going to work out? I want you to welcome him as you would welcome me. Paul is a citizen of Rome, like even more than just a freed person, a citizen. That's like high honor and praise that ought to be given to him. It's, it would be celebratory if Paul walked into the center of that church. What Paul is really t telling all of us is that all of us are equal in worth and dignity and ought to be treated as such. It goes back even to what, um, what Rachel and Josh are doing. All of us are equal and, and worthy of dignity and ought to be treated as such. It's this radical idea that undermines slavery, that undermines class system, that undermines a caste system, that undermines wrong-headed ableist views of dis disability, it undermines sexism, it un undermines homophobia, all of it. If we all have equal dignity and we all treat each other that way, things would be a little bit different in this world. So there's freedom and there's also forgiveness. In verse 18 and 19, Paul says, like, in this very, very polite Paul way, if he's done anything wrong to you, so Paul, really, Paul would know Onesimus, he would know the situation, he wouldn't just put that in randomly. Um, so it's like, if you know, maybe he wasn't super kind as he left, maybe he did a, you know, a naughty thing one or two, like, don't worry, I'm going to cover it. Just don't worry. Like, forgive him, because I'll cover it. So, but here's the difficult thing. Philemon, in the end, especially eventually whenever he, if he does see Paul or not, or in some way Paul will get a way to pay him, Philemon's not going to be out any money. And, you know, if, if he's the rich person anyway, he's probably okay even if he was out money. But even if Philemon does get paid back, that's not the real difficult thing. Because when someone wrongs you, you want them to pay you back. You don't want someone else to take care of it. You want that person to pay, because you want them to feel even just a little bit the way that you felt. And that's the difficulty in forgiveness, is not making the other person feel the way that you felt. As long as we want them to pay, and we aren't actually living in forgiveness, even if they do pay us and things are, as long as we still want them to kind of feel that pain, we aren't really living in forgiveness. Forgiveness says you don't have to pay. Now, put yourself in Philemon's shoes here. How would you feel? You've been wronged here. And this guy's coming back, and he just gets to waltz in. You're supposed to treat him like a free. You're supposed to, like, what are we, are we, like, now giving positive reinforcement to slaves who steal and run away from me? This is, you know, this is not a good, like, pedagogical method. Maybe one question you would have if you were Philemon is like, why is Paul not caring for me? I'm the one who was wronged here. How come I'm the one who has to give to him? You probably feel angry, not heard, filled with righteous indignation. There is a cost to forgiveness. And the reason this letter had to be written is, I think, really all about verse 14. I'm just going to read it. If you go to verse 14, as Paul saying, but I did not want to do anything without your consent. Didn't want to force you to do anything. 
so that any favor you do, any good possible thing you do, would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. And he also, uh, earlier Paul says that he wants it to be like a basis that comes from love, not from compulsion. Like we all have the good Christian things we ought to do, but how often are we doing good things because it's like a desire that comes up from within us. Paul wants Philemon to do this of his own free will, of his own good desire, not because of some order that he gets. What Philemon needs to do is extend forgiveness and his heart needs to change. This is much more difficult than just saying, yeah, that's fine. Much more difficult than saying, um, cool, I'll just wait for Paul to pay. Uh, to have your heart change, that's the real, that's the difficult thing. Paul doesn't set Philemon up as some kind of hero in the sky of this guy who has all the money, lends a poor little helping hand to this, oh, this poor little returning slave Onesimus. No, he, he sets everyone up as equal. There's no kind of like heroic aspect from Philemon because he's here or like sad victim aspect of Onesimus. Everyone's equal on the equal um, footing here, sharing in their common unity. But before this letter, Philemon is in a place of withholding rest and refreshment from Onesimus because he's not extending the same kind of thing to Onesimus as he is to other people. He's withholding freedom from a slave. He's withholding forgiveness from a brother. This letter isn't just an opportunity for Onesimus. It is an opportunity for Philemon to change by extending forgiveness. Now, in every community, there are all types of costs. In every relationship, there are all, all kinds of costs. And these can be small or large. It can be small costs, like not checking your mobile when someone's talking to you. I mean, that's a cost because you could get the coolest later, latest update or whatever kind of thing might be going on. The cost of that is actually interacting with the person who's in front of you. Uh, it could be small cost to our time. If you're with somebody, that means you're not doing something on your own or with somebody else. It be cost to your money. If someone needs a helping hand with money and you can help them, um, you know, the, whatever might be a cost to our time or to our money, do we just, do we see 